Aloha mai kako, everyone. Welcome to episode eight of the Moana Nui podcast. Today we sit down with Newton Lelavoie. Newton is a comic book writer and publisher of Dream Fury Comics. He was born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and grew up in Brooklyn, New York City. When Newton is not writing computer code as an IT consultant, he's writing stories for graphic novels and comic books. He currently resides in the Bronx with his wife, two daughters, and their chocolate lab. Newton recently raised over $25,000 on Kickstarter for his creator-owned comic, Crescent City Monsters. You can find him on Facebook, Crescent City Monster Fans Group, and on Instagram, at Dream Fury Comics, as well as at www.dreamfurycomics.com. You can find all of those links in the show notes. Aloha, Newton. Welcome to the Moana Nui podcast. Hey, Moana. Thank you for having me. That was a, a great intro. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan. So, you know, like, this is amazing for me. I have been following um, Crescent City Monsters since the beginning and patiently waiting, you know, for each issue as it comes out. Um, and I was I was kind of reflecting a little bit today and just realized, like, wow, we just did, like, number three, like, not too long ago. It was, like, earlier this year, and you're already coming out with number four. So I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, and it's funny because um, originally I had only planned to do one Kickstarter. In fact, in the last Kickstarter, I said um, that I was going to slow down and only do like one Kickstarter a year. <laughs> but then, you know, COVID happened and, you know, change of plans. I'm really excited about it. And it's quite an accomplishment to me to do, uh, you know, two Kickstarters in a year because it takes a whole lot of effort, which, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit. But oh, yeah. um Let's start off with like tell us tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. What's your or origin story, and how did you get started? Yeah, so um, I was uh, born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Came to the states when I was about five years old. Uh, grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Um, currently live in the Bronx. Um, like a lot of comic book creators, I uh, was into comics really young. I was reading comics, I guess at the um, regularly at the age of eleven. Um, and, you know, I loved it so much that I started creating my own comic book. So, you know, there I was in fifth and sixth grade just drawing comics and selling my comics to uh, my classmates. So I, I loved doing that. But, you know, I had two passions, right? Uh, creating comics and uh, programming, computer programming. So, you know, as, as I uh, grew older, it, you know, it kind of made more sense to, to lean towards uh, computer programming. Because at that time, you know, I knew there were people who made a living creating comics, but to me, it just didn't seem like a like a real thing. Yeah. So, you know, um, and plus, you know, I came from you know, old school Haitian parents, and they're like, <laughs> you know, ex- ex- explaining them that you want to be a comic book creator <laughs> wouldn't really uh, work out. Yeah, so I leaned towards uh, you know computer programming, but then as as I got older, um, I still had ideas in my head just floating around and um i was always writing too like in high school i took creative writing classes i won a few contests in high school a few writing contests in high school so um writing was always a thing but it was always in the back burner um and like and then like, like i said i always had stories in, in my mind um then when i started getting to kickstarter i was initially backing uh tech projects right because i was you know little gadgets and stuff so i was like oh this is cool but then i saw there was um a section for comic book creators so i um i went and checked it out and i was like oh okay and i uh purchased my first uh kickstarter comic book so it it's a really great book and 
um, when I was looking into it, the people who created it, it was by uh, Sophie Campbell and Erin uh, Watson. Um, but the publishing company behind it was Iron Circus Comics and um, uh, the president or the owner is Spike. And she had produced this PDF and it, it talked about how to um, get into Kickstarter as a comic book creator. And once I saw that, I was that's when the seed was planted in my head. You know what? Um, I think I'm, I want to create my own comic. Because now I saw like there was a path to doing it that um, was kind of laid out a little bit in this PDF. And I was like, okay, let's do this. So, <laughs> so um, I decided to pursue my childhood dreams of uh, creating comic books. That's so awesome. I love that you were, you know, especially where it kind of draws on, um, you know, like some some dreams and some aspirations that you had as a kid that never really went away. Right. It was always in the back of your mind. Like, how can I do this? This is something I'm really passionate about. And, you know, just finding a way to to make this happen. It's one of the things I love about the Kickstarter platform is because it gives people opportunity to give their ideas a try, you know, and that, I think that's really important. Yeah, that's that's the great thing about the platform. I mean, you know, um, when you think about it, if you didn't have Kickstarter, right? So you'd either have to like save enough money and wait to do whatever project you wanted, right? Um, take out a bank loan, which most people, you know, probably don't even qualify for, right? Or ask uh, money from friends and family, which you know, most people probably don't have that rich uncle that they could, you know, borrow, you know, two three thousand dollars from. So um, Kickstarter is a really great alternative to those other uh, sources of income. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I you know, we've used Kickstarter as well, and it's it's been amazingly helpful. And, you know, it just helps you get, get your project out um, a lot quicker. And it allows you to just test the waters creatively and just kind of see, like, what, you know, what people want, what they don't want, and helps you to develop your audience and talk to people who may not always feel reflected in the other stories that might be out there right now. So I want to go back a little bit and talk about, you mentioned that you have um, Haitian uh, Creole roots and mm -hmm. that you you're, you were born in Haiti. How do you incorporate your cultural background into your work? Uh, so Crescent City Monsters uh, takes place in New Orleans, right? And there's a lot of cultural connection between New Orleans and, and Haiti and historical connections. So so it was easy to do that. So um, especially with the voodoo act aspect of it, um, New Orleans voodoo is a little different than um, Haitian voodoo is not exactly the same, but they share a lot of the same things. Like they, they have a Baron Samdi, right? And, and so do we. So um, I, I incorporated um, some of the Haitian voodoo lowers into Crescent City Monsters because I wanted to really make them um, a lot cooler than, than um, I've ever seen on TV or even other comic books, you know, because um, the idea of the, the Loas are, are really cool. And it's really interesting because Loas really, they kind of possess you in order to uh, be here on earth, right? They're not like, some people call them gods, but they're not really gods. They're more like spirits. So I think that aspect um, is really interesting. The fact that you, you have to have a spirit that connects to a human you know, and have that interaction in order to be in this world. So um, I wanted to kind of play on that too. Um, you kind of saw that in the uh, the third issue where um, uh, Baron Samdi is writing. <laughs> it's called writing sometimes. Um, his um, the the French word is a cheval, a horse. Um, but riding his horse, which is Cali, you know, interacting with her in in the real world. So um, and they kind of play off each other you know so you know even though he's um he's this powerful lower you know he still kind of needs a, a human to accomplish certain things so um i kind of like playing with that 
that aspect of it. So yeah, things like that I enjoy throwing, throwing around. And also Crescent City Monsters, I kind of, um, in, with that story, I introduced uh, um, the idea of like Creole ma- um, magic, which is a blend of magic. New Orleans culture has a uh, Creole, right? And Creole basically is a mixture of um, European, African, and Indian culture. So um, I wanted to capture that mix- mixture. So uh, there's a lot of different characters. So um, besides the um, voodoo lowers, you also have um, gods or um, people who um, who are part of like um, Norse mythology and things like that. So I, w- I wanted a little mixture and um, kind of incorporate that into the story. Like, it's one of the really interesting aspects to me about the story, especially because, like, traditionally it's been, like, it has a negative vibe about it. You know, the whole concept of voodoo and the Western understanding of, like, what it is, right? Like, witch doctors and, you know, giving everything such a negative connotation. Two kind of movies that come to mind, kind of older ones, but Skeleton Key was, like, one of those where I was like, oh, this is an interesting concept you know, where it was kind of like body snatching in a way, I guess, like spirits that lived on and jumped into kind of talking towards what you had mentioned before, like the spirits living on through like other humans. And that was like their way of immortality. Right. So that was definitely interesting to me. And then one that was kind of funny. I mean, not really funny, but Mark for Death kind of, I don't know if you saw that movie. It's like an old Steven Seagal movie. And it had like, I think it was the Jamaicans though. Like they were like drug dealers and it kind of had some some voodoo aspects, you know, like with the bones and, you know, things like that. And so it kind of like touched the surface, but Mm -hmm. like with Crescent City Monsters, it like draws you into that world. Like it's so descriptive. Um, The art by John is like so amazing because I'm usually not a fan of like non-color comics, you like manga. But with this one, I was like, okay, you got me. I'm I'm here. (laughs) It's just so amazing. It's just like you guys make a great team between storytelling and artistry. Can you talk a little bit more about like, like the dynamic between you and John and like, how does having such an amazing artist emphasize the way the storytelling comes out? Like, you know, cause there's a, you have a script and then like, I feel like the artist sometimes can push you to even write even beyond like what you may have initially, uh, you know, had in mind. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, the artist does definitely have a, a big influence on, on the story. Um, actually, well, so I can say, you know, personally, Gene has a big influence on the story um, because of his art style. You know, I like to start off by saying, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate to have <laughs> found Gene. Um, he's an absolutely monster when it comes to um, artwork. Yeah, he's the amazing Gene Carlo Bernal. So, Bernal, so um, yeah, I'm really fortunate to have, have found him. And as far as our process, um, and when when I first started uh, the comic book, I was I was really ready to go. So all I had really was an outline in my head. I didn't even have the outline written down. Um, it was just an outline in my head, and um, I was like, okay, uh, let's. I was like, I, you know, if I wait till I finish the story, I'll never get this done. This comic book out. So, because <laughs> I would start writing and just keep writing, and I would never be happy with um, how how it's progressing. So I was like, all right, um, we're gonna do this three pages at a time. And so I would give Gene three pages of the script at a time, and then when, once he finished, I'd, I'd give him the next one. And um, when he sent me that first page, I was just blown away. I was like, wow. When I saw his artwork. It started like sparking my imagination because I'm a really visual person. So when I saw his artwork, I started seeing the story more towards his art style. So like 
I'll picture things in 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 the the, the way the way he draws things. So it was so I st- so the story you know kind of changed a little bit you know because I initially had these um, scenes in my head and um, they were going to play out a certain way, but based on Gene's um, artwork, you know it um, it um, some of that some of that changed. Um, you know, so it so he he is his art style and his artwork and and just the way we work together um, just really affects the book. I mean, like I I really I I think we have a synergy. Um, I feed off his artwork and he feeds off the script. So um, and, and I think it, it really um, works that way. And I can you can tell that he really enjoys drawing the story because um, he he takes a lot of time and effort into um, what he's doing. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll look at the panel and, you know, see the stuff that he puts in, <laughs> you know, it's like, he'll, he'll put in like little stuff in, in there that, um, that I'm like, oh, okay, I see what he did here. And he, he's very cinematic when it comes to drawing. So, um, that's, that's pretty amazing too. Not, yeah. So not only is he a great artist, but you know, it's like, it's, it's like he's in his, I, he, I, he's a, he's an, he's a genius when it comes to art because he'll like you know take a scene and like turn it a certain way you know and they're like oh you know um, what made him think of doing that angle you know <laughs> it's like, it's like, and you know and, and it's and it's a and it's appropriate angle too it's like it's like amazing it's like you know he should be a director so gene's artwork is just amazing yep I, i'm definitely a fan and i can i can't wait to see the next issue so I want to circle back a little bit um, back to the voodoo part and talk about like, wh- how did you go about researching for your project? Was your, your knowledge of it, like, were you raised with voodoo beliefs or was that something that you had to um, pursue and develop more um, for the story? Yeah, I had to do research. Um, so, you know, my family is, um, they're straight Catholics. They don't really um, practice voodoo. Um, in fact, my, my parents never even talked about <laughs> <laughs> um when i was growing up so um i didn't really have any like personal insight into it so i had to i had to do some research um which is kind of funny being haitian because um in haiti a lot of people practice voodoo so um it's a common thing so it's not so um but yeah so i had to do <laughs> i had to do research so but it wasn't you know it wasn't that difficult um and you know it was something i enjoyed because during the research you know, you see that you see more of the African connection because a lot of it just spills back to um, West Africa. So you 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 feel a little bit more connected to um, to uh, to Africa as you're like, yeah, okay, because it's not like voodoo just um, appeared out of Haiti. It was you know it was something that um, they well the Haitian form of voodoo was um, sort of just. Uh, <clears throat> Was uh, it was changed and merged with the Catholic religion, um, along with uh, the the African religion. So um, it, it it came from somewhere. It's not like you know we invented, <laughs> you know, all a lot of the um, the aspects of voodoo. Yeah, and I mean that's natural, and it's interesting to see how culture evolves, uh, or religion or beliefs, you know, evolve with the changing of the times and you know the influences, you know, like the Catholic influences you mentioned. And how you know your your family was Catholic because I was raised the same way, right? So this is not definitely not something my parents would have taught me because Christians view it as like, oh, spiritual possession is bad. It's it's evil. It's you know, it's a demon. And <laughs> but you know, when you look at it, a lot of it still carries on. Like you can't really totally you know get rid of it. 
when Catholic church are a little, um, they're different than regular church because, um, and I didn't realize that because I, when I used to go to church, it was, you know, Catholics are like this, there's, there's a, everything is like planned and, you know, you, you do this or this and you say this after that. And, you know, you, um, and so, um, I, I remember one time I went to, um, I forget what the nomination it was, but I, I went to, um, it was a black church. And I was like, whoa, I was like, this is, I was like, I think this is a little bit more my speed. I was like, <laughs> you know, people like, you know, clapping and singing and <laughs> dancing. And then, you know, then when I saw um, someone catching the Holy Spirit, I was like, okay, you know, I was like, I was like, that, that definitely um, is something that came from the motherland. So like little things like that, like catching the spirit is, um, is definitely something that you, that came from, you know, our ancestors and, you know, so there's, there's always traces of it somewhere. You, you can't really totally get rid of it. That That's one good aspect. But the other aspect is still like, like you kind of touched on, um, you know, as even though I was raised as a, a, a Catholic, you know, I still respect a lot of religions and, you know, who is a religion. And so, um, and there are aspects to it that, you know, people should just really kind of look into, um, you know, maybe certain things about it might not be for you. But if you if you study and look into it, um, you'll see that, you know, especially if you, you look at it, you, you'll see it has some connections to, you know, some of your ancestors or um, the beliefs of your ancestors, you know, which is really important. Um, religion is like is, is a big cultural thing. So um, it affects how you would, how you think, you know. Um, yeah, it's. <laughs> I don't even get down that road. <laughs> In fact, let me just say one more thing about it. Um, I remember I was discussing um, uh, voodoo with a coworker of mine. He um, and he, this guy is like super woke. He studied African culture like to the utmost. He he knew um West Africa. He knew East African culture. So you know, because both cultures um, a lot of people you know they'll they'll focus on like Egyptian culture mostly. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they'll um, focus on the um, West African culture mostly. But, you know, this guy knew about um, both cultures. And I remember I was telling him, I was like, well, I was like, I could see why um, they were able to, um, Haitians were able to hide the fact that they were practicing voodoo from um, the slave owners because um, there's so much, there's a big connection because, you know, Catholics, they had, they had saints, which, um, you know, the uh, <clears throat> which Haitians kind of just hid the lowest in it or merged the lowest in it. Um, so, you know, for every correspondence, they, was, um, they matched it up with um, a uh, lower, so an African spirit. So um, I was like, it, it, it kind of like, I was like, it's, it, it was easy for them to hide it. He was like, well, he was like, don't you know, they took that from Africa? And we, <laughs> it was like, that's why it's easy. He's like, that's, he, and then he started kind of breaking it down to me. Um, really deep guy. He was like, he's like, that's why it's, it was easy to um to assimilate it because um a lot of it was already taken from Africa, and you know he was kind of breaking it down. But yeah, <laughs> um, that, that's just another rabbit hole again too. But yeah, I was gonna say, I said, I, oh, I could go down that that rabbit hole, but um, I don't want to like you know cause uh, any any kind of friction about, about religion because that can get be a very touchy subject but mm-hmm. I will say that um, even in you know like Hawaiian culture we have very similar concept to the loa you know it's basically different spirits that represent like different aspects of life so you have like the god of um, a fire you know the god of water you know um, war different aspects and then you know like giving tributes you know those offerings or whatever you want to call that in tribute and respect to um, those gods. And we also have what, you know, kind of like a, 
like the origin and then like how people like descend from those gods and how like you were playing with the spirit riding the human very similar is like um you know like how we have like what could be like i guess demigods where they have like a human form but they also have an animal form okay. um, and you know just the the kind of duality and connection um between the physical world and the spiritual world so yeah absolutely it was, it was another reason why i liked that you oh, let me ask you so what, what did you think about um that disney movie no it was disney or pixar um moana so moana was good i mean it was good but like anything right it's in general it's, it's very i like i loved it because number one i felt seen right like it's it's representing pacific islander culture it's incorporating it so it definitely made me feel emotional about that movie of course it's my name so I'm gonna love it. <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean but culturally they they basically took um different aspects of different Polynesian cultures mm. and incorporated them. Like the village itself is representative, has a lot of Samoan and Tongan influence in it. I mean, but if you look throughout Pacific Islander cultures, there's a lot of commonalities there too, because just like with Africans and Afro-Caribbeans, it's all the, the, the people go back to the same origins. Um, mm. What really makes you different is like where you stopped along the journey, right? And unfortunately, a lot of that journey is tied to slavery because there was a Polynesian slave trade too. A lot of people don't know that. Um, it's called blackbirding. Okay. And so um, kind of the epicenter in the Pacific Islands was Fiji. Yeah, basically, you know, the slave, the slave owners and the slavers here in the States, once that was quote unquote outlawed, which really wasn't, you know, they took their activities into the Pacific and perpetuated it there. So when you look at different Polynesian cultures, there are still a lot of commonalities in the culture and beliefs, um, even in language, lots of similarities between Hawaiian and Tahitian, because a lot of our origins tie back into Tahiti. And that's, you know, that's where our people came from. And then, if you, you know, you go back, you go back, you go back, and it ties back into like East Asia. And then, of course, you go East Asia and then goes all the way back to Africa. We, we all know this. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the movie. Absolutely love it. But, you know, I want to see more more actual authentic influence into it. Like, can we bring in some creators that are, you know, actually from the culture, dive a little bit more in depth into those aspects of the culture? Cause they, they what I did love though, is the relationship between Moana and her um, Tututala, which is basically very true for Polynesian cultures is that children often have really strong connections with their grandparents because that was their, like the grandparents impart the cultural knowledge onto the children. Okay. Spend a lot of time with the grandparents. Uh, now it's like you know, these new age people. They don't. I don't feel like we respect the elders or take advantage and and you know like really sit with them like kids. Now I don't know that they do that for whatever the reason might be. Whether it be families being separated into different areas and not really having that close knit community anymore. But I, I that was one of the things that I really loved about the movie is is her connection to her grandmother. So. And then when she transitioned and she became, oh, yeah. you know, the stingray and yeah, that was a cool scene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. So Crescent City Monsters incorporates monsters, of course, and it also takes place in the '60s. Why did you choose that particular decade for your setting for your story? Well, um, believe it or not, the first issue, the second issue was actually going to be the first issue. <laughs> like okay. when I first thought of the idea, it was going to start in um, modern time. But 
as I was developing the character, I wanted him to be as uncomfortable and suffer as much as possible. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I was like, hey, you know what? Let's start the story from um, way back in the time, you know, period where, you know, that's so far from this time period, but not too far that he, um, that if he, that he, that, you know, if he, I guess, uh, sleeps or is animated and comes back, he, he's totally lost in this new world. So, um, and then all the people, most of the people that he knew would be gone anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, I said, all right, I'm going to push it back. And I was doing some research. Originally, I was going to make it, I think, in the 1950s. But um, as I was doing my research, I was like, you know what? 1960s was, was um, turned out um, better in terms of um, like what was going on with the civil rights um, era and stuff. So and at the same time, I wanted to kind of do like a reflection of what was going on now. You know, like um, I wanted to show that what we're seeing now is just uh, is was mirrored like back then, so that it's not so. Um, because a lot of times you have people who are like um, they kind of like deny that police brutality ever happens. You know, like they're like, ah, oh, you know, it's a one-off kind of thing. So I wanted to, so I wanted to push it back then because I wanted to be to people to acknowledge like, okay, yeah, you know, during this time, this is what happened. Right. Um, and, you know, to think that it would, it's going to take only like one or two generations to go away is, is not really realistic. Right. Because in the sixties you had racist people, right. Um, those racist people are still alive today. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, a lot of them are still alive. They had children, right. And they affect uh, what their children is thinking, right? They, if they, if they're racist, um, their children may not necessarily be racist, but they'll grow up with um, a prejudiced mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and their children, so like to think that okay, um, all of it went away after um, you know, those, the Civil Rights mm-hmm. Act was um, passed. It, it's not realistic, <laughs> you know, because it, it's gonna it's gonna carry on for at least three, four generations before, you know, the way you view black people is, uh, is changed, right? It's not going to change over a generation. It's not going to change over two generations. I want people to think about like, okay, even though that seems like it was a long time ago, really isn't that long ago. Um, like I said, there were people alive, um, still alive who, who was around that era. So, um, I wanted to kind of reflect that what was happening then and now, um, to kind of mirror things. So, um, Unfortunately, um, I, f- I flash forward the story. You know, I didn't really spend too much time in the 60s, but, um, you know, something that definitely I've been thinking about going back to maybe doing like some background stories with Jonas when he's, you know, <laughs> when he's 19, you know, throwing a uh, flashback here and there, you know? Yeah, I absolutely love that you played with the timelines. Because when I read, I read the first issue and I loved it. And then I went to the second one. I was like, wait, what happened? Like, <laughs> oh, I see what he's doing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was nervous about that because... I was because when the first issue came out, everyone was like, "Oh man, I I love the the fact that it's you know starts in 1963 and the artwork matches the noir." Then I was a little nervous, like, "Oh no!" I was like, <laughs> "I was like, um, I, I'm you know, and you know, because I knew ahead of time I was gonna flash forward, and I was like kind of nervous. I was like, "Man, how are people gonna take the fact that it's no longer in 1963? Are they still gonna you know like the story? You know." I was really nervous about that because, like I said, people love um, the fact that, uh, you know, Gene's art style and the noir and it kind of matched with the time. So, um, <clears throat> but people seem to really like uh, issue two and issue three. So <laughs> I guess it wasn't a problem. 
That's one of the things that I love about being an indie creator is that as you're creating your story and you're get you know you're getting that fan feedback, right? And it's like, ah, okay, well, this is my IP. I can do whatever I want with it. I don't have to ask anybody, you know, if they like that. Well, let me do like a, a short, you know, like develop this other part of the story, you know, and then just further enrich the universe. So I'm glad that I heard that you said that you might write some some background stuff because that would be dope. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you kind of touched on that, too. That's that's one of the things I like about being an indie creator. So um, like even though I was nervous that people were going to um, if whether uh, whether or not they're going to like if I um, flash forward, ultimately, it's it's up to me. Right. Like, um. I can take that chance. I can take that risk. Say, hey, I'm not gonna keep it in the 19s because um my brother, one of my brothers, he when I when he found out that I was gonna flash forward, he was like, maybe you should keep it in the, um, the 60s a little bit longer. Da, da, da. But I was like, oh, nah, that wasn't really the plan. So you know things like that, like you knowing that okay, um this is your story. You're the one who's gonna um decide where it goes, and you're the one who makes the decisions. You know um. Whether those decisions are good or bad, <laughs> your decisions, and that's one of the great things about being an indie creator because everything you do is is up to you. Um, you you're the one in, you're the one in control because, like in my regular nine to five job, I, it, it's a collaborative effort, right? I can't just do everything. You know, I can't do anything I want my way. <laughs> um, <laughs> we work as a team, so. Um, Sometimes you have to make compromises. You have to listen to other people's idea, which is okay, you know. But then I have this on the flip side, where um, you know, everything is just up to me, which is is, is great, you know, because it's like um, it's it's scary too, because you, you um, you can you can fall flat on your face, you know, in public, you know. <laughs> it's like they're like, oh, oh man, the story was great, going great until he did this, you know. So it's like, so you know, there's there's always you know the fact that you, you can fall flat on your face but i i still i still rather enjoy like everything being you know in control and and deciding you know what gets done so i think that um, to me that's one of the great thing about being an indie creator you get to do whatever you want <laughs> so kind of going off of that what has been your scariest experience as a creator i guess you know um i guess really my first Kickstarter, that was, <laughs> that was my, because, you know, it was, it was the first time you're doing a Kickstarter, you don't know if you're going to um, succeed. Um, you don't really know what to expect, even though, you know, we're, um, we're students of Tyler James Comics Launch, and we have a, a ton of information available. You still, you haven't experienced it, so you don't really know what's going to happen. So um, that, that, that was the scariest thing, because, you know, even after it's over, you're like, oh, wow, I made it. And it's like, now what? Now I have to fulfill this. Like, now you have to figure out, you know, not that it's like rocket science, but at the same time, you like you have to do research, make sure that you don't end up um, losing your shirt because <laughs> you miscalculated <laughs> your, your, your Kickstarter um, uh, expenses. So um, so things like that, you know, um, I guess the, that, that was the, the scariest thing. You know, luckily... Um, I'm glad that was the scariest thing because that, you know, everything else is, everything else I pretty much enjoy, you know, things, um, you know, Kickstarters I always get nervous at, um, they yeah. always make me nervous, they always freak me out, <laughs> it's always, I, I'm not sure why it always plays with my mind, but, um, but anything else, you know, I, I enjoy, yeah, and it's amazing too because I, I just this year I, I did my first uh, panel, I was, um, it was in January, 
And usually in public, I'm, I get so nervous. Like I remember I was at a company retreat. I was so bad. Like we, we had to present at a company retreat. Um, my presentation was so bad. Like um, uh, there was a guy who stuttered. His presentation was better than mine. <laughs> I mean, it was like, that's how bad my presentation was. You know, speaking in front of people, it make me really, makes me really nervous. But um, this year, speaking in the panel, I was okay. Um, I was on stage. I was a little nervous, but I was okay. So that, that even that wasn't that scary, you know. I guess it's because I enjoy a lot of it. If I didn't enjoy it, I'd probably be, you know, scared shitless, like, <laughs> you know. But I guess that's the thing that changes things. You know, when, when you're doing something that you enjoy, um, the fear doesn't hold on to you as much. I would agree with that for sure. Everything, all of the above. Um, got a question from Michael Watson. Why did you choose black and white for your book? So. I was a big fan of um, uh, Robert Kirtland's um, Walking Dead series, the comic book series, before the uh, the TV series came out. I like the TV series too, but I was a real big fan of the book. And um, that's in black and white. Basically, Crescent City Monsters is sort of is a zombie story. I mean, you can't really see that it's a zombie story yet, but <laughs> that's where the idea idea kind of came in. So I was like, oh, I want to do my um, I want I want to do my own uh, zombie story. <laughs> it was like, but I want to do it my way. And so, and then in The Walking Dead was black and white. I was like, okay, um, I want this book to be in black and white too. But the one thing that I didn't plan though is uh, how dope Gian's grayscale was because uh, originally I was like, okay, um, this book is going to be in black and white. Do you think you can do like black and white and um, like uh, uh, The Walking Dead? So I sent him a, a couple of samples of like Walking Dead pages, like, you know, um, I emailed him and he was like, yeah, sure. But when he sent me back his version of it, I was like, I was just blown away. I was like, man, this is, I was like, I was like wow, this is, this is incredible. This is next level stuff. I, I that was really surprising. I had I always planned it to be in black and white, but to the level that um, it is now, the, the way Gene does, did it, that was not planned. Um I didn't really, um, I, when I connected with Gene, I knew he was a great artist, but I didn't, I had no idea that his um, great scaling work was so amazing. I still, every time I look at it, I'm like, that's dope. <laughs> it's so amazing. So you recently won four Glyph Awards. Congratulations um, for Crescent City Monsters. Um, and you've enjoyed a lot of success with this series. What's the best piece of advice that you've been given? Actually, it's a... <laughs> It's an advice. It's not really an advice, but it's, it's a, I think, a saying that they attribute to uh, Steve Jobs. And the, it says, uh, I think I might be switching the order around, but um, stay foolish, stay hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the uh, best advice. Um, and the way I interpret that is <clears throat> staying hungry, meaning that you're always um, looking for um, to, to take the next step to elevate yourself. And and the thing that you're working on, um, that you're always pushing yourself and um, staying foolish means that um, just taking chances, you know, even when um, when you don't have to, you know, you're, you're taking chances. Um, that's how I interpret it. And I guess um, that's the best advice. <laughs> that's great advice. I mean, it's it's one of my favorites, too. So uh, always trying to improve upon, you know, what you've done and how can I take this further? It's one of the things that's always in the back of my mind, especially because like I'm generally not a risk taking person. I'm more risk averse normally, but 
you know, like creative projects allow you to be, you know, take more risks because they're, it's, it's yours and there is, it's, it's yours, it's your voice, it's your story and there's nothing to really, like, like nothing to compare it against, right? It's, it's, it's just what, how far you want to push yourself um, with what you create. So I absolutely love that. Oh, actually, and, and there's one more thing too with that. So I heard uh, Todd McFarlane said this, and this was a good point. He he was so he was talking. He he said, as a creator, you shouldn't really be afraid to um to create to end up creating something that's horrible. Because he was saying, look, he he um he was working on Spawn, and he has all these issues. He's like, not all his issues are gonna be great, you know. And but he's like, um, but that's okay because your fans will. You know, your fans will stick with you because they're looking at the body of work, right? They're not looking at like, oh, um, he's done fi like 50 issues. And oh man, he, he sucks because issues 18 through 24 was horrible. You know what I mean? Um, fans don't look at it that way. They, they look at the whole body of work. So, you know, don't be, you know, discouraged if like, you know, along the way you stumble or people just don't get what you're doing. You know, um, your fans will start, your, your fans will look at your whole body of work you know, um, so you, you shouldn't you shouldn't even worry about that. Um, and I take a lot of um, I kind of like musicians. I kind of I kind of study not study, but I kind of observe the way they they kind of work too. Because when you look at musicians, they usually they, they'll they'll create an album and they have a sound to it, and you know it's great. People love it. They're like, oh wow, that album was was amazing. It's a classic. Most of the times, the musicians they don't stick with that same sound on like the next album. They switch it up, and it throws a lot of their fans off because the fans are like, "Oh man, this doesn't sound like the previous one." But you know, most musicians and they they do that because they 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 realize that they need to change and evolve. They're artists, so they they don't want to do the same thing, you know. So even if at the cost of disappointing people. Um, they rather grow as artists and um, experiment and try new things. And I think, you know, that's that's the same thing with um, comic book creators, too, or just any artist. You know, that's the approach that you take. You know, your sophomore album might not um, <laughs> be the big hit that the, the first album was, but that's okay, though. Uh, one more question from Morgan Iverson. Since you love The Walking Dead, who is your favorite villain? And is there a character like them in Crescent City? What issue did I stop at? I'm not really up to date on um, uh, the, uh, the villains of uh, The Walking Dead. The two villains that I know know of was the the mayor and Negan. Um, after that, uh, um, after Negan, after Negan was dethroned, I, I I didn't really catch up with uh, The Walking Dead. So, but Negan definitely was um, my favorite villain. He's just a crazy guy. I'm not sure what they they've done with him because, like I said, I haven't really kept up with. Um, I think the last issue I probably read was like something like maybe 80 or something like that. So I, I haven't seen what they, they've they done to him, but, um, you know, Negan was just a really interesting character. Um, the TV series did a good job at kind of um, translating um, Negan. They did a really good job. The first season of Crescent City, uh, not, <laughs> of The Walking Dead, um, to me, sucked. But um, <laughs> it was because it, it, um, it, it just didn't, reflect um, the more of the comic but the um as the series went on um it got way better the second season was better than the first and then you know so on but yeah negan was like my favorite my favorite villain i would say that's awesome and then the the second part of the question was is there a character like him in in crescent city no no not in crescent city but i would love to make a um a character similar to him 
Um, I do have one similar to him that I have in my head. It's a character that, um, for a story that I'm thinking of, I really want to create a, uh, a story on, on Harriet Tubman. Um, so this character that I'm thinking of is like would be her arch nemesis, and he's kind of similar to Negan, <laughs> you know. But um, but you know that's a story that um, <laughs> that I'm just working on. It's not really hasn't really happened, so gotcha. you know, don't get too excited. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Terry uh, Harriet Tubman because I'm I know I'm late to the party, but I was watching Underground and. Uh... There's a slave catcher in that one. What's her name? Patty something. Oh my God. I can't stand that. I can't stand her. She does a very good job of portraying that role. <laughs> when you said like an arch nemesis to her, I'm like, hmm, somebody like that. <laughs> <laughs> For those listeners and viewers who would like to pick up a copy of Crescent City Monsters, where can they do that? And what is the best method for folks to find and follow you online? Well, the uh, the best way right now is I recommend uh, just backing the Kickstarter. <laughs> so, um, can I post the URL on? Um, yeah, definitely. Please do. So I'm gonna do that. All right, guys, we're posting the link where you can go and learn more about Crescent City Monsters. Back it, please. Back it. It's. it's I promise. I will yeah, so, be wrong. You need this book. Yeah, this is the biggest Kickstarter that we've we've ever done. Um, right now, we're raising the most money we've ever raised. Uh, currently, we're over uh, 17,000. Well, our next Kickstarter stretch goal is going to be 21,000. The f- we already hit the first one, which is a, uh, um, a collaboration with uh, Keith Cross and myself with his um, his book, uh, Day Black. Um, we're going to um, do a crossover with uh, Crescent City Monsters and Day Black and his uh, character, Merce. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Keith Cross's Day Black and Merce. So, um, you know, his vampire and, and uh, Jonas is, is going to take uh, place in 1963. So that's one story that <laughs> that's going to go back uh, to that era. And so I'm excited about that. And then the uh, the next the next stretch goal is uh, going to be another uh, crossover. But this time with uh, Greg Anderson, Elise, he's um, we're going to um, do a Is Nana and um, Crescent City Monsters crossover. So you know, I'm I'm trying to keep you know like in the supernatural realm. Yeah. So um, and these two characters are in that supernatural realm, and so I think it, it, it's the the synergies between those characters and the worlds is going to be awesome. So I'm excited about the artists that we have um, uh, for both stories. Um, it's 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 going to be it's going to be great. So um, and um, hopefully if um, we reach the third stretch goal which is at twenty seven thousand we're gonna actually make a book so everybody who pledges at the physical tier will actually get an extra book to um to their tier so um and the book will be you know those two those two stories in, in one book so I'm I'm excited about that. You know I hope we reach that that twenty seven thousand. It'd be dope because I, I I'm I'd really wanna give uh, everybody who backed us out of physical tier um that free book. So um, I'm I'm super excited about that. So am I, because I'm so glad that, um, you know, I found out about this stretch goal because I didn't know about Day Black. And when you uh, wrote the rescript- description, I was like, oh, that's another book that I need. So, yes, let's get him to this goal. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Keith Cross, I'm a big fan of his. Um, he, he's, he's also a tattoo artist. Oh, he, he said he's retired. So um, you could kind of see in his artwork, too. He's got that. Tattoo yeah. kind of style, um, which which I love. I'm really excited about that. Um, got some comments here. <laughs> Morgan's like, "Yo, a crossover with Isnana will be insane, man!" I'm hiring you and Greg for my Kickstarter for Harlem. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, I absolutely love all the synergy I'm seeing um, in the community right now. It, it's really cool. Mike and I are supposed to be working on something. I, I just, I've been so crazy busy that, you know, I haven't had time to get back to him, but I'm, Mike, I'm coming this weekend. We're, we're doing this. But yeah, so back, um, Newton's Kickstarter, the link is in the chat. Uh, you should be able to find it. I will also post it up, uh, post up some stuff um, when we end the video and you can also find it in the comments and um, in the description below. Um, we want to thank Newton for coming on and giving us some of his time tonight. We wish him all the best. Oh, yeah. And I forgot to mention one other thing. So Greg and I are also um, doing this thing where if you back both projects up, uh, Greg is going to send you a free print of the, the crossover between the, the crossover characters. So, yes, I'm a backer of both. Yeah, so yeah. So just if you if you back both, just send us some um, both of us a note. So we put you on the list of uh, people who get the free print because you back both um Kickstarters. Awesome sauce. Yeah. yeah, come on guys. We got such amazing art here, amazing stories, and I mean look at it. How can you not back that? So Again, thank you guys so much for joining the Moana Nui podcast. I really appreciate you hanging out with us. Thank you, Newton, again, for being here and being a guest and just sharing your dope creativity with the world. If you would like to look, learn more about the Moana Nui podcast, please check out our website, www.moanamcadams.com. You can find out everything there and follow us on social media. Look up Dream Fury Comics on Facebook and Instagram. And for myself, you can follow me at The Real Life Moana, both on Instagram and again, my website, www.moanamcadams.com. So with that, I hope everybody is safe and healthy. Take care, wear your mask, wash your hands, stay six feet away, and let's kick COVID in the butt. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye, guys. Till next time. Bye-bye.